ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then we begin with the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha where Al-Imam Al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala says Qala haddathana Ubaid ibn Ismail Qala haddathana Abu Usamah an Hisham an Abihi an Aisha radiyallahu anha qalat nazalat hadihi al-ayah ولا تجهر بصلاتك ولا تخافت بها في الدعاء In this narration then Aisha radiyallahu anha said that this ayah ولا تجهر بصلاتك ولا تخافت بها that it was revealed regarding dua so the meaning of bisalatika wala tajhar bisalatika do not be open and loud with your prayer and neither to be silent with it the salah in this ayah upon this explanation would therefore mean dua because the word salah prayer in arabic what does that word actually mean what does the word salah prayer actually mean in arabic salah in Arabic, it means dua. That's the core meaning of the word. Because when you are in salah, you are in prayer, you are in dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And remember that general rule we mentioned earlier. Words have a linguistic meaning to them and they have an Islamic meaning to them what is the difference between the linguistic meaning of a word and the Islamic meaning of the same word so here for example linguistically salah it refers to dua islamically we know salah isn't just dua it's a lot more there's a lot more actions to the actual salah so what is the difference between the linguistic meaning of a word and the islamic meaning of that same word Almost, not quite. 
in terms of meaning what is the difference in the meaning of a word just linguistically compared to islamically for the same word what is the relationship that's getting closer that's getting closer so you have a word and they say for example any word لغةً بمعنى X, Y, and Z and then they say شرعاً بمعنى X, Y, and Z a word has a meaning in the language so for example if we say the Salah this word in the language has a core meaning of Dua Islamically though شرعاً Salah is a very particular type of Dua and that's basically what it is that Islamic meanings of words are just very particular meanings of the general linguistic meaning. So for example, Hajj linguistically just means as a general linguistic meaning of the word Hajj Pilgrimage what does pilgrimage mean then? It's, it's technically correct, but what does pilgrimage mean? In fact, no, no, it's not correct. It's completely incorrect. Pilgrimage is the shara'an meaning. The linguistic meaning is what? Which is from that. To migrate? To go out? Where are you going? Huh? Qast. So, so linguistically, Hajj, it just means an intent to go somewhere. An intent, an objective, a goal, a, a, an intent or an objective to go somewhere. A qasda. Islamically though, it's just a very particular intention of going somewhere. The very particular intention of going to the house of Allah to perform the rites. That's your Islamic definition. It's the same as the linguistic definition, but with just extra particulars on it. That's the, the difference. Whenever you look in words, in books, in explanations, they say X, Y, and Z. Lughatan, linguistically, this is what it basically means in the Arabic language. Shara'an, uh, Islamically speaking, the definition they give you there now will be the same as the linguistic definition but with just extra particulars added on so if we're saying salah salat linguistically is dua shar'an it is also dua but a dua that begins with a takbir and ends with a taslim and has particular movements and statements in between it's a dua but with a particular method of the dua. So that is all it is in the difference between the linguistics and the Islamic meanings of words. So here, يَكُونُ فَيَكُونُ مَعْنَا بِصَلَاتِكَ وَلَا تَجْهَرْ بِصَلَاتِكَ أَيْ بِدُعَائِكَ وَلَا مُنَافَاتَ بَيْنَ كَلَامِ عَائِشَ وَكَلَامِ ابْنِ عَبَّاسِ وَذَلِكَ لِأَنَّ قَوْلَ الصَّحَابِ 
نزلت في كذا ليس صريحا في أن هذا هو سبب النزول ومعنى ليس صريحا في أن هذا سبب النزول بل قد يكون مراده نزلت في كذا أي في هذا المعنى You see here then in this narration Aisha radiyallahu anha is indicating that this ayah وَلَا تَجْهَرْ بِصَلَاتِكَ Do not be out loud وَلَا تُخَافِتْ And do not be quiet It is in reference to dua Whereas in the previous narration of Ibn Abbas It was in reference to the actual recitation Is that therefore a contradiction between the two narrations? The Shaykh says no, not necessarily Because when a companion says that a particular ayah was revealed with this background or that background story to it it doesn't necessitate that this was the one and only an absolute reason behind that ayah there could be other explanations there could be other uh, reasonings there too it doesn't pinpoint to one and only explanation that's the reason the ayah came we don't say that so it doesn't necessitate there's an there's a contradiction between them because it's not absolutely clear and pinpointed that it definitely means the recitation and that's why this story came that is the statement of the companion and it could just mean that he considers he considers that this ayah was revealed for that purpose or that story so it's not something definitive to start saying that there's a contradiction therefore فَإِذَا قَالَ قَائِلٍ وَسَبَبُ نُزُولِهَا أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَعَلَ كَذَا أَوْ صَارَ كَذَا فَنَزَلَتْ فَالْأَوَّلْ صَرِيحٍ فِي سَبَبِ النُّزُولِ وَالثَّانِي ظَاهِرٌ فِيهِ وَأَمَّا الَّذِي فِي سِيَاقِ مَا ذَكَرَهُ الْبُخَارِيُّ فَلَا فَالصُّورِ إِذَا ثَلَاثَةٌ He's going to summarize now the three possible contexts or scenarios you could have with regards to the reasons why an ayah is revealed firstly that a companion says that the reason for a particular ayah being revealed is x y and z explicitly says that the reason for a particular ayah being revealed is for x y and z فَهُنَا يَكُونُ سَبَبُ النُّزُولُ صَرِيحًا So in that kind of scenario, it's clear-cut. Companion is saying this ayah was revealed for this reason. Blatant and clear. Secondly, if a companion says, الثاني أن يقول كان كذا فنزلت وهذا ظاهر لكن ليس بصريح in the second situation, it's where something happens, some incident happens. And then the companion says it was because of that incident the ayah was revealed. Do we know that the ayah was revealed definitely because that incident has just taken place? Maybe not, but that's what the companion saw. This incident occurred 
And then the ayah was revealed. So he says, that's what happened. That incident happened and then the ayah was revealed. Therefore, apparently, indicating that the purpose or the uh, reason for that ayah being revealed was that incident that took place. But is it definitely because of that incident? No, there's a slight difference between this and the first one. In the first scenario, the companion is saying to you, this ayah was revealed because of X, Y, and Z. Definite, 100%. In the second scenario, he's saying that such and such happened, there was this incident that happened, and then afterwards, the ayah was revealed. Therefore, on the surface of it, it would appear that the ayah was revealed because of that incident. Was it definitely because of that incident? It's not blatant. The companion isn't saying the incident happened and that is exactly why this ayah was revealed because of that incident. He's not saying that. He's saying an incident happened and then the ayah was revealed indicating that the ayah was probably because of that incident. So the second scenario isn't, as they call it, sarih. It isn't blatant and clear-cut that the ayah was revealed because of that. He's just saying that happened and then the ayah was revealed. The third one, الثالث أن يقول نزلت في كذا فهذا محتمل أن يكون المراد أن هذا سبب النزول أو أن هذا من معناها وهنا نقول قول عائشة وقول ابن عباس ليس بينهما تنافى لأن المعنى أنها نزلت في كذا أي في هذا المعنى The third possibility with this is that a companion says that it was revealed for such and such a reasoning it was revealed for such and such a reasoning here there's a possibility of two intentions behind that statement maybe he means that it was revealed because of that like the first one or maybe He's saying it was revealed as an explanation of this incident. It was revealed in clarification of this incident or in the meaning of that incident. An incident has happened. This ayah is telling us about how to understand that incident, giving us the meaning of that incident. But was it revealed specifically for that incident? Again, maybe not necessarily. So the first one is where it's clear, the companion says, it was revealed, this particular ayah, because of this, and that's it. It was because of that. That's the reason for this ayah. Secondly, he says, something happened, and then the ayah was revealed. Apparently, on the surface of it, it does indicate... Everything points to the fact that the ayah was revealed because of that incident. But it's not blatant. And thirdly, when he says it was revealed about such and such, maybe that means it was revealed because of that, for that reason, blatant. 
or maybe it was revealed in the meaning of that incident the ayah was explaining or talking about or in meaning it was giving us the perception and comprehension of that incident but was it specifically revealed for that one incident maybe not but it's related to that incident but that's important because if you're going to say it's related to that incident not specifically that it was only and exclusively for that incident it therefore means you can't say there is a contradiction between statements of the companions because okay it may have been related to that incident but it may have another meaning to it too so there is no contradiction in the first narration it was talking about this ayah not to be out loud and not to be too quiet that it was about your recitation and in the second hadith it's telling us it's about when you make dua not loud and not quiet but something of the medium وبهذا يتبين لنا أنه لو كان كل من اللفظين صريحا في سبب النزول وبينهما اختلاف فإن ترجح أحدهما أخذ به وإن لم يترجح فلا مانع من تعدد سبب النزول ويكون تعدد سبب النزول يعني كونها نزلت مرتين من باب التوكيد والتركيب so the sheikh says as sheikh al-ithaymeen if therefore we did have a situation where there were two reasons for an ayah being revealed from context number one where two companions are saying it was definitely because of this and they've both got different reasonings in that situation if one of them can become a rajih, a stronger position. If one of them is a stronger position than the other one, then you take that. But if neither is stronger than the other, you have two equal statements of strength. One companion saying, this ayah was revealed because of X, Y, and Z. Another one saying, no, this ayah was revealed because of a different X, Y, and Z. Then in that case, there is no difference as such. Because there is nothing preventing there being two reasons behind the ayah having been revealed. It is possible, or multiple reasons behind the ayah being revealed. And that would just be an emphasis upon the revelation of that ayah if it was revealed uh, or if it was revealed twice in two incidents, the same ayah, an emphasis upon that ayah. Then after that, قال البخاري رحمه الله حدثنا إسحاق قال حدثنا أبو عاصم قال أخبرنا ابن جريج قال أخبرنا ابن شهاب عن ابي سلمه عن ابي هريره قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ليس منا من لم يتغنى بالقران وزاد غيره 
يجهر به that the Prophet وسلم, said not from amongst us he is not from us the one who does not beautify his voice with the Quran make that recitation in the form of recitation in that beautification of recitation and in the in the addition it's mentioned read out loud not from us the one who does not read it with a sound the sheikh begins by saying why in those previous narrations the one previous to the last one why was the prophet sallallahu told not to read out loud the recitation what was the reason there it was about the mockery there that the mushrikun they would hear that and they begin to mock and abuse the, the, the words of Allah and Allah, etc. So therefore, do not be loud. أي من أنزل نعم لماذا كلف رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بعدم الجهر بالقرآن الجواب حتى لا يسبه المشركون أي من أنزل, من أنزل القرآن ومن جاء به والقرآن كذلك أو خوفا على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وأصحابه من أن يتعرضوا لأذى المشركين الذين يسمعونه so that they do not abuse Allah سبحانه وتعالى they do not curse Allah and they do not curse Jibreel and they do not curse the Quran or that they may harm the Prophet so that they don't harm the Prophet and they don't harm the companions for all of those reasons, the Prophet was told not to be out loud with the recitation of the Qur'an. فَقَدْ يَكُونُ لِهَذَا وَقَدْ يَكُونُ لِهَذَا وَقَدْ يَكُونُ لِأَمْرٍ ثَالِثٍ وَهُوَ أَنَّهُمْ قَالُوا إِنَّ هَذَا الرَّجُلَ فَتَنَ صِبْيَانَنَا وَنِسَاءَنَا لِأَنَّهُمْ كَانُوا يَشَنِّعُونَ حَوْلَ الْبَيْتِ يَسْمَعُونَ الْقُرْآنِ it's also possible that there's another reason too and that's because the mushrikun they used to say that this man Muhammad is causing a problem to our women and children because their women and children used to gather and listen to him حَتَّى كُبَرَاءَهُمْ كَانُوا يَخْتَفُونَ وَيَأْتُونَ إِلَى حَوْلِ بَيْتِ الرَّسُولِ even the elders of the mushrikun the elders used to come and hide near the house of the prophet to listen to him and there could be multiple reasons for that all of these or a combination of them or one of them يَكُونُ الْأَسْبَابِ خَوْفَ اللَّغْوِ بِالْقُرْآنِ وَخَوْفَ الْفِتْنَةِ وَالْخَوْفَ عَلَى الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم So there were those multiple reasons in that previous narration why the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was told not to read out loud هَذَا كَالْأَوَّلِ This narration is just like that لِأَنَّ تَغَنِّ الْإِنسَانِ بِالْقُرْآنِ 
اي جهره به بتحسين الصوت من فعله فيكون مخلوقا remember all of this here it was based upon the topic one key topic it wasn't about the quran generally it was about one key topic here these are hadith what we began with a couple of weeks ago about when you recite the quran is that created or not and we explain there your voice your actions are created but the words that are being recited are not created all of this is on that topic so here as well the sheikh highlights it's connected to that point when you recite the quran with your beautified voice then that beautified voice that you are now making that is created your beautified voice how you're trying to do it with your vocal cords and your 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 tongue and everything that is created but the words that are recited are not created amma alquran nafsuhu fa innahu laysa bimakhluq وقد قد عرفنا ان البخاري رحمه الله يفصل تفصيلا بينا في هذا وان الامام احمد رحمه الله قال من قال لفظي بالقران مخلوق فهو جهمي انا الامام البخاري goes into detail in this topic and we saw before how al-imam ahmad said that anybody who just leaves it open and says my recitation of the quran is created then he's a jahmi because it's not just like that it's not just my recitation is created your voice and your vocal cords are created but the words being recited are not created that has to be clear if you just say my recitation is created then that may well include the words that are being recited and therefore imam ahmed said that is a jahmi the one who makes that type of claim In another narration from Imam Ahmad he said whoever says my recitation my utterance my words when i read the quran are created and he intends by it the quran and whomsoever says it is not created both are mubtadi' the one who says my recitation is created full stop the one who says my recitation is not created full stop both of those statements are incorrect it's not like that your words the actual words are not created your voice is created has to be distinguished otherwise leaving an open statement my recitation is not created then that could indicate your actions your vocal cords are not created and they are or the other side it is created Yes your vocal cords etc are created but then that leaves it open to saying the Quran the words themselves are created to so Imam Ahmad dispraised disparaged both of those types of open statements The Sheikh mentions a benefit he says idha qalu at-tajweed yaqtadi tahsin as-sawt bil-Quran al-mujawwad alaz wa qira'atu al-mujawwad alaz ala sam'i min qira'at ghayr al-mujawwad wa ar-rasul nafa an yakuna minna man lam yataghanna bil-Qur'an 
وهذا يقتضي أن ترك التغني من كبائر الذنوب لأنه لا يتبرى الرسول من شيء إلا وهو من كبائر الذنوب ولكن نعم Normally when you have this type of narration it says such and such who does X, Y and Z is not from us That phrase in a hadith is not from us The one who does X, Y and Z not from us then that indicates this action is a major sin whenever you see a hadith whoever does such and such then he is not from us that means it's a major sin the narration is saying here whoever doesn't recite the quran in a beautified voice is not from us so if you recite without any attempt to recite in a recitational voice then that's a major sin the hadith would indicate. True or false? It would, upon the principles, indicate that. That if you recite without any attempt to recite in a recitational voice, then you committed a major sin if you're just doing plain reading. However, al-jawab ala hadha an yuqal. The answer to this is that we say that the recitational tone of reading the Quran is a relative concept it is relative Me relative meaning that everybody's gonna be different everybody's gonna have a different ability in recitational tone You'll have some people who are barely better than just normal reading. That's the best they can do. You'll have others, mashallah, good enough to go into the CDs. Don't know why we haven't been recording some of them. Some will be at higher levels. Some will be at lower levels. Everybody will have their relative ability in recitational tones. And therefore, somebody, when you hear them and you think that's very plain standard recitation, he's not doing anything. For him, that may be his best ability in recitational tone. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا رسول الله أشهد أن محمدا رسول الله حيا على الصلاة حيا على الصلاة حيا على الفلاح حيا على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله So the point here is 
the narration where it says not from us the one who does not recite in the recitational tone that this is not a one point standard it's a relative term you may hear somebody and you think he's not reciting in the recitational tone but for him that is his ability in recitational tone in another narration it mentions Beautify the Qur'an with your voices. As Shaykh Rithaymin says, that does not mean the, the, the method of reading. It doesn't mean the method of reading. It just means your voice. Try and make your voice beautiful in your reading. Even if your actual reading may sound to somebody who's much better may sound like to him you're just reading very plain but the point of that narration is you try to beautify that with your voice even if your actual reading is very plain that's your best ability but try and beautify it with your voice and that's why you might notice a person when he recites it's a little bit different to his voice when he's standard talking maybe slightly the tones etc because that is from the changing of the voice slightly to try and beautify the recitation of the quran with this point then the prayer leading the prayer a person who leads the prayer what is the condition we spoke about this briefly before once is tajweed a condition when reciting the quran Tajweed, having that perfection or, or the understanding of all the rules of how to recite and how to pronounce everything precisely and join it, etc. Tajweed, it is not a condition. Most of the scholars have mentioned it is sunnah. Even for the imam, it is not a condition as such. Of course, you put everything into context and we know from the context of the sunnah that the best in the Quran should be leading the prayer the one with the most memorization and as the scholars say the one with the greatest knowledge and understanding in fact some scholars say if a person had knowledge understanding another one had hifd of the Quran hafiz but the Hafiz has no knowledge at all. He's memorized the Quran as a child, has no knowledge of anything. He's not a student or nothing, knows nothing. And then you have, for example, uh, somebody of knowledge, of understanding, of, of fiqh, but he's not Hafiz. Some scholars say that one, the one of knowledge, has the right to lead the prayer, not the one who's Hafiz in that case. Because from the conditions of the one leading the prayer is his knowledge and understanding of how to lead the prayer and what to do in incidents if they occur during the prayer. Imagine he breaks wind, he knows what to do. This other one, half it breaks wind, doesn't know what to do, carries on maybe. So, there's a point there. But the point here, the Imam doesn't have to be an expert in Tajweed if you were in a situation and there were only people who weren't experts in Tajweed, then one person would have to be the Imam and that's okay. The condition is though the proper pronunciation of the letters because distortion in reciting is two types. The lahan in reciting is two types. 
One is the minor distortion in reciting where you may make some mistakes, but it doesn't change the meaning of anything. That is passable. And it's valid for the prayer. Your prayer would be valid if the Imam ended up in those kinds of errors. But the second type of lahan, the, the major lahan, is where the Imam makes errors such that they are changing the meaning of the words and the ayat. There your prayer would be invalid. It's not permissible for somebody to leave the prayer who's making mistakes to that level, whereby he's changing the meanings of the words changing the meanings of the ayat. So, that's where we'll conclude on today then. Uh, next two weeks are off, like we said. Next week, there's the event in Oldham. Everybody try and attend. First time we're going to do an event there. There's going to be many people attending from the local area as well. We want to show them the da'wah, show them what Salafiyyah is. So it's good if everybody comes and participates and joins in to meet the people there as well, to meet people from Oldham. So everybody, don't take a week off. Come to Oldham next week, inshallah. Next week at 7 p.m. at Oldham. The address, I'm sure it's around in the groups and everything. The hall that's been hired out there. Get the address, ask the brothers, ask in the groups. You'll get the address on Twitter, various places. Next week, 7 p.m., the Oldham event. So there'll be no class in Bolton and there'll be no class here. The Liverpool one earlier in the afternoon next Saturday will be on, but the Bolton and the Manchester ones won't for the 7 p.m. Oldham one instead. Then the week after is off as well. Everything is off the week after because the week after is the conference in Stoke-on-Trent in Masjid Abi Huraira. The new mosque that has opened there. So next Saturday, everybody should try and go there. I think it starts 11 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. Early in the morning, the lectures all day. Sheikh Salim Bamihraz will also be attending and participating. So in two weeks' time on the Saturday, a full-day event in Stoke. Try and attend there. Make sure you have uh, uh, put time aside for these two events, the next Saturday and the Saturday after. And inshallah ta'ala, We'll conclude upon that and meet here in three weeks' time then, insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.